0: This is a WTOP original podcast
1: from podcast one previously on
2: colors backlash against racial justice movements.
1: I had a situation where
3: a white woman reacted very negatively to a critique of of white women and the privilege that white women have and the, the whiteness that is often centered in white women's circles.
2: Ariva Martin, a black attorney and media expert. She's noticed it happening in her own personal circles.
3: And I, I sense the, her reaction was a sense of, we're sick of being
1: dumped on. We're sick of people telling us what we've done wrong. Coming up in this episode of Colors...
2: COVID vaccines, a secret disinformation
0: campaign. They wanted me to share wrong information about Pfizer. It
2: started online,
0: but flyers ended up on doorsteps.
2: It said it causes sterility. Traced back to Russian intelligence. Russian agents working on U.S. soil. Millions of Americans gobbled it up, a nightmare for U.S. healthcare officials. Time-consuming and exhausting. I'm J.J. Green. Join me for the COVID conspiracy crossover event, a joint presentation of the target USA podcast and the Colors podcast featuring the National Football League Players Association, Dr. Anthony Fauci, former FBI and CIA personnel, social media influencers, COVID conspiracy. We connect the dots between foreign disinformation campaigns and Americans' refusal to get COVID-19 vaccines.
1: That's coming up in this episode of Colors. ...simmering racial tensions...
2: ...segregation now and tomorrow and forever... ...fighting injustice... ...I have a dream... ...conflict looming... ...brutality exposed... ...I can't breathe,
1: I can't breathe... ...the search for solutions starts here... ...from WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America...
0: Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys.
4: My name
2: is John Echo I'm uh, a citizen of the Pawnee Nation of Oklahoma.
5: I am Susan Goodyear. I'm white, I'm female, and I live in upstate New York.
1: My name is Guadalupe Correa Cabrera. I was born and raised in Mexico. I have a green card, and I am Latina.
2: My name is Adam Carter. I am white, and I am from uh, South St. Paul, Minnesota. And I'm JJ Green, and I'm black. And this is Colors.
0: It sound right, boy.
2: Do you know anyone who refuses to get the COVID-19 vaccine? Do you know why? Is it because of religious commitments, concerns about allergic reactions, or something they heard? They're all valid reasons, but the last category, something they heard, is one of the most popular reasons and, unfortunately, a growing number of people are hearing things that simply are not true. It's called disinformation. Disinformation is a subset of propaganda and is false information that is spread deliberately to deceive. It's sometimes confused with misinformation, which is false information but not deliberate. So, to be clear, on this podcast, we're going to connect the dots between a secret Russian intelligence disinformation operation to discredit American-made COVID-19 vaccines and expose how it seeped into America's information ecosystem. And millions of Americans, including prominent, intelligent, and popular people of every race, ethnicity, gender, religion, and economic station of life, have fallen victim to it. Many people have died because of a lie. On May 18th, Mirko Drotzman was sitting on his couch when a strange email popped into his inbox.
0: They wanted me to be part of an, well, they said information campaign, in fact it was an disinformation campaign. Drotzmann
2: is a German journalist and a social media star with more than one and a half million subscribers.
0: They wanted me to share wrong information about vaccination with Pfizer, to tell the subscribers of my channels that there are many deaths that are connected with the vaccination with Pfizer, and they offered me money for that. That made him suspicious. I went to the website of that agency, and it was kind of strange. The website said that it's an uh, agency in U.K., but I found out that the CEO of that agency lives in Moscow. Uh, many employees lived in Moscow.
2: As he continued to dig deeper, he discovered the parent company was an organization named AdNow but there was something odd about
0: them. I couldn't find a real building of that uh, company.
2: And even more suspicious, every company likes to brag about its work, but this company, there was nothing.
0: There are no real campaigns that they did in the past. And most importantly, all the information they gave me were wrong.
2: (laughs) So Mirko decided to expose them and devised a scheme of his own.
0: I told the guy who um, sent me the first email that that I was interested. In fact, I wasn't, but I, I wanted to have more information. And when they responded,
2: what they told him, unbeknownst to them,
0: blew the lid off their operation. I asked who pays for all that and the guy told me that is a secret. And what they said next was
2: textbook disinformation.
0: I was told to say that all this was my own research, that I that it's my own will to share it and the final straw. They wanted me to keep it as a secret that um, I get money for this.
2: Draughtsman blew the whistle. but other influencers, took the money and pushed it. Facebook got word of it and shut down 65 Facebook accounts and 243 Instagram accounts, but the damage was done. Athletes, entertainers, business people, everyday people were all inundated with disinformation about COVID-19 vaccines. And not only was this scheme circulating in the virtual world, it made the jump to the real world. On a weekend in early August, flyers turned up on the doorsteps of residents in Prince George's County, Maryland. They were loaded with disinformation about COVID-19 vaccines.
3: The dangerousness of the COVID-19 vaccine, it said it causes sterility. Samantha
2: Williams received a texted image of one of the flyers and was stunned by the disinformation and the quality.
3: I was struck by how well done the flyers appeared. And she immediately
2: knew this was a dangerous piece of literature.
3: I I was uh, absolutely floored uh, when you know I saw what was being promoted um, to to a neighborhood I thought could least afford any amount of disinformation about the COVID nineteen vaccine. I think that whenever you mix a little truth with a lie, the lie takes on a life of its own, and that's the fine line between having a little lie in something that becomes very very big and unmanageable
2: and williams says the reach of these flyers was substantial
3: i know that for sure that the flyers were distributed uh, within uh, uh, um, my relatives uh, high-rise development i can only assume that there are a few families that live there. I have heard evidence um, from other news sources Uh, a similar flyer was seen in Baltimore.
2: Law enforcement experts say the flyers were a part of a well-financed campaign. And while this campaign has an obvious domestic footprint, the similarities between this physical campaign and the virtual campaign used to try to seduce social media influencers into signing on are too striking to ignore. Russia, their game plan is to sow polarization in the United States. That's Tom O'Connor, retired FBI special agent. So the question is, does Russia have agents on the ground in the U.S. doing this work?
4: Yes, there are Russian agents working on U.S. soil carrying out what we call covert action campaigns.
2: Robert Bayer, former CIA covert operative.
4: The Russians carry out operations, two different organizations do it. One is called their Foreign Intelligence Organization. Uh, That's the SVR. It does regular spying. Uh, These people are under diplomatic cover um, and they work out of an embassy or a consulate in the United States. And then there are other directorates like the FSB internal security, which also operates in the United States and they don't follow the same protocols. So for instance, if they have Russian emigres, that have connections in russia they might use them the fbi calls it the long tail so what happens is somebody in russia is arrested and if they want to get out of jail they got to get their relative in the united states to help them a lot of this is done you know a lot of this is unwitting they suspect they're working for russian intelligence but they don't really know It's much more difficult for the FBI to get to the bottom of this.
2: So, there are Russian agents that are working on U.S. soil to do various things. What would Russia have to gain from engaging in an operation to spread disinformation about COVID 19 vaccines?
4: Well, number one is they can, it helps divide the American population. I mean, Russia is behind this whole idea or it certainly supports it, of the deep state of a CDC being, um, you know, controlled by an elite uh, that that portraying COVID-19 as a hoax ends up sending more Americans to the hospital and divides them politically. I mean, I've never seen the Soviet Union or Russia this effective in its covert action campaigns doing so much damage to the United States.
2: That is the thing that so many people just don't seem to understand. When you look at the athletes who refuse to get COVID-19 vaccines, entertainers and social media influencers, people who have millions of followers who are talking about why they shouldn't get vaccines and why they don't believe in the research and they don't think COVID-19 exists, all of this is pretty much tracked back to that Russian disinformation. Is that right?
4: It it tracks back to Russian disinformation, and it it tracks back to big data. Because all you really need to do is is have an algorithm and run it through Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You figure out what people are already tending to believe in, and then you set up websites or, or Facebook postings that encourage them in their beliefs and carry it further on. This, this is all done by machine learning. And it's not like one person, the mastermind behind this. I mean, they are even to the point now, the Russians, where they can have an algorithm, a computer write an article. So if they find some crazy conspiracy theory, they can teach a computer to rewrite it in English, more articulate, bringing up stray facts to support it, then put it on Facebook or Instagram. And it, it's basically going to drive us crazy if we don't get a handle on this. And I, I, I know Facebook has been taking off sites, uh, you know, that they, they can trace back to Russia. But a lot of these sites, they've got proxies. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's whack-a-mole. And they'll just simply move a, uh, a server to Cyprus, for instance, or anywhere. And it is very hard to close this down.
2: Yeah. Just one last thing. You know, I believe you know, uh, from basically firsthand knowledge, or at least close to it, that these these Russian agents do operate in Washington. Is that right?
4: Oh, I do believe they operate in Washington. They they operate for out, out of the cultural center or any, any number of places and it's light cover it's i don't you know in the the intelligence world it's you, you know they're not stealing secrets so it's not like the fbi can arrest them and put them in jail but they're simply promoting crazy ideas and they are agents of the russian government in the sense they respond to direction of moscow
2: so who are the people that actually carry out these tasks In most cases, they use passports issued under fake names. Yuri Shvets is a former KGB agent. He defected and is now a U.S. citizen. Regardless of how they did it, the damage has been done, but Americans don't seem to be aware of it.
4: I think the vaccination decision is a private, very private health matter for me, and I'm going to keep it as such. Kirk
2: Cousins, quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings. According to his teammates, he's refused to get the vaccine, and it's cost him on the field and off. And he's not alone. There are numerous players in the NFL that have similar approaches. Another? Cole Beasley of the Buffalo Bills. He said at one point he'd rather retire than get vaccinated.
5: Agents are being told by teams if they have unvaccinated guys, they will not be given opportunities as of now to be seen in workouts. So once unvaxxed players get cut, they're losing a dream. They have worked their whole lives for over a vaccine that is proven to not keep people from contracting COVID as we've seen. It's not clear
2: if Beasley and Cousins are acting on disinformation, but between the two of them, they have almost 1 million followers on Twitter, which makes them, significant influencers. So how is the NFL handling that? We've
6: dealt with it by really having a zero-sum focus on what's true, what's scientifically validated, what can be objectively verified.
2: Demoris Smith, Executive Director of the NFL Players Association. Pushing the truth is only a part of their agenda.
6: And to your point, um, sometimes calling out just how um, wrong, incorrect and false some of the allegations are.
2: Not only is disinformation difficult for unsuspecting consumers of it, but it's also very difficult for the medical community. Dr. Anthony Fauci, Director of the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. It's
7: not an easy uh, encounter to be able to overcome that, uh, but the thing that we try to do, and it's, it's time consuming and exhausting because the multiplying effect of disinformation in social media is so profound that the thing I find the most effective is the best way to counter disinformation and misinformation is to provide in an orderly manner by multiple reliable sources, correct information. I think if you just throw up your hands and say, oh, it's just so crazy, nobody is gonna listen to that, you're you're gonna lose that fight because the people who are propagating the disinformation seem to have nothing else to do but promote disinformation, whereas the people with the correct information kind of have day jobs. <laughs> and it's very, very tough to devote such a substantial amount of time uh, to try and counter every single bit of disinformation. So it's almost as if the the, the, the untruth uh, spreaders are the ones that have a lot of time to amplify that through their social media networks. So we try as best as we can to give science-based information uh, to keep up with the pace of the misinformation. But that's not an easy thing to do when you have a lot of other very important things you need to do with yourself.
2: Not only are we, journalists, asking people like Dr. Fauci how to deal with Disinformation, but there are conversations that are going on inside the medical community. For instance, clinical pharmacist Gina Bazemore had a conversation recently with Dr. Fauci about how to deal with disinformation.
3: Dr. Fauci, you are uh, talking about misinformation and that's something that I can definitely relate to. Working in healthcare, I and my colleagues, we really struggle with how to deal with vaccine misinformation. And at this point, the vast majority of those who are hospitalized with COVID are unvaccinated. Uh, and, and interestingly, we do see a disparity in vaccination rates amongst uh, race and ethnicity in the U.S. with uh, American um, Indians uh, having the highest. rates of vaccination, Black non-Hispanics having the lowest rates of vaccination, and white non-Hispanics being somewhere in the middle. Can you talk a little bit about what has been learned about approaching misinformation in various communities, and what strategies may have been successful in changing hearts and minds for those who are still hesitant?
7: Yeah, I mean, the way to approach it, Gina, is you have to realize that there is a, a rather broad spectrum of reasons why people are hesitant, Uh, you know, often uh, I mean, for example, we've worked very hard when uh, the African-American community has had hesitancy that goes back to the the extraordinary uh, shameful situation uh, of the Tuskegee experiments. That gets handed down from generation to generation, the overwhelming majority of the African-Americans who, who 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 bring that up, weren't even born at the time of Tuskegee, but they have a really valid question about the federal government and the history of the federal government. So rather than just poo poo their concerns, you've got to respect it and then go through with real good information about the ethical constraints that have been put into place, the data and safety monitoring boards, the institutional review boards that would make a Tuskegee like approach impossible in today's world. Then you try and get them answers to their valid questions like you did this too quickly. So there must be cutting corners. It's not safe. Then you go through the fact that it isn't that we did it in 11 months that we got to where we were by two decades of really very elegant, basic and clinical research. So respect the concern and then answer the questions in an adequate way so that it isn't as if you're poo pooing or not paying adequate attention. The other thing uh, that you need to do um, is to get trusted messengers to talk to them. And that was one of the successes of the Native American high level of vaccination, because we, I I know I did, but I'm not the only one spent a lot of time with the tribal leaders, the people in Indian country who are respected by the elders. You get down, you sit down with them, or you do it with zoom and you answer every single one of their questions because the people in Indian country, the younger people, they would much, much more respect the people who over their entire civilization have respected their elders rather than somebody unfamiliar like me, a white guy in a suit. (laughs) You know, if you go back in the history of the 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 real um, offenses against Um, Native Americans. It's been white guys in suits (laughs) who have lied to them. So you really got to I mean, that's what we mean by by trusted messengers. So each individual group, Gina, that you mentioned, you've got to understand where they're coming from uh, and respect the validity of some of their concerns and then try to get the right information. Having said that, There is something else we're facing in this country, which is really rather unique. And that is an inherent aversion or refusal to even consider any of the things that we're talking about based purely on ideology, uh, which is something that is in many respects astounding in that you're dealing with a life saving intervention and you look at the map and you see the extraordinary disparity between red states and blue states and people. I mean, they they do that map. They show uh, of the states that voted for Trump. They are the ones for the most part that are under vaccinated. And for the states that voted for Biden, those are the ones that have a good um, contingent of vaccination in the sense of relative percentage. There's absolutely no place for that at all. I mean, this is a public health crisis, not an ideological
2: game that we're playing. That's the problem. It's a complex issue. D. Smith says people's rights have to be observed. And then there's the concept of doing the right thing.
6: Do I believe that it's important for for our players not to to be forced to, to take the vaccine? I still think that that's right. We bargained for that right. At the same time, do I still think that it's important for our players to not engage in in falling for disinformation um, and, and doing things that are important for their health and safety and the health and safety of their families and their communities? Absolutely.
2: And Fauci says one other thing is happening in the U.S. right now. Americans are making life or death decisions based purely on ideology. That too is driving the COVID conspiracy. Disinformation is based on a lie plain and simple. The National Counterintelligence and Security Center, NCSC, says disinformation is false or inaccurate information that is spread deliberately most often by adversaries. While adversaries are the genesis of most disinformation, when it comes to the unprecedented explosion of COVID-19 vaccine disinformation, you are more likely to get it from your best friend, spouse, parents, or even a trusted co-worker. The reason, according to NCSC logic, is that it includes technically factual information purposely presented in a misleading way and may include amplification by a bot or other inauthentic account. These counterfeit entities turn information into weapons. It's not a new concept, but some of the tools used to do it are. Recognizing them and neutralizing them is going to be a heavy lift. But stopping the flow of COVID-19 disinformation in the U.S. most likely cannot be achieved without understanding that there is a connection between the lies being spread by foreign entities abroad and the lies being spread in the U.S. by people we know. This has been COVID Conspiracy, a special crossover podcast event a collaboration between the Colors Podcast and the Target USA Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at TUSA Podcast and at Podcast Colors for more details about COVID Conspiracy.
5: You're listening to Colors. Hi, my name is Jamie Stockwell, and despite my last name, I'm actually Mexican American and only 116th white. My great-great-grandfather was from Massachusetts, but he moved to Texas to work on the Texas-Mexico Railroad. Riding a train one day, he met my great-great-grandmother, Elisa Palacios, a Mexican citizen. My great-grandfather also married a Mexican-American, so did my grandpa, and so did my dad. My family looks a whole lot like other families in America, multiracial, multiethnic, multicultural. I was raised on the Texas-Mexico border, but I live in New York City now. I work as an editor on the National Desk of the New York Times. Among other things, I'm responsible for our coverage of race, and in this moment of continued mass protests against police brutality and entrenched systemic racism, of a nation's reckoning with its painful racist past, our work is more important and urgent than ever. We've seen how crucial race is to the stories that shape our lives the economic fallout of the pandemic, the inequities it has exposed, and the conversations about diversity, inclusion, and equality taking place in companies and institutions across America. They've all underscored the role that race plays in our lives. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.
4: My name is John Echo
2: I'm uh, a citizen of the Pawnee Nation of Oklahoma.
5: I am Susan Goodyear, I'm white, I'm female, and I live in upstate New York.
1: My name is Guadalupe Correa Cabrera, I was born and raised in Mexico, I have a green card, and I am a Latina.
2: My name is Adam Carter, I am white, and I am from uh, South St. Paul, Minnesota. And I'm JJ Green, and I'm black, and this is Colors.
1: coming up in our next episode of Colors.
6: I came to the U.S. when I was two months old with my parents, and we came to the U.S. as boat people from Vietnam in 1979.
2: How does that term, boat people, make you feel?
6: I It makes me feel proud.
2: Dr. Julie Pham is CEO of Curiosity Based, a consulting practice dedicated to helping people realize the power of their own curiosity, and author of the book, Seven Forms of Respect.
6: My father was a naval officer um, with the Republic of Vietnam military. And so after the war ended in 1975, he was sent to re-education camp. One of the reasons why we fled Vietnam is because he had a real fear of being sent back to re-education camp.
2: Hers is a compelling story about hard work, ingenuity, and setting the record straight.
6: When I get into conversations with people about the Vietnam War, and sometimes it starts with, oh, I'm so sorry for what we did to your country. Hmm. And so I just let them know Actually, um, we were fighting alongside one another for um, freedom.
2: The Americans were supporting um, the South Vietnamese.
1: That's coming up in our next episode of Colors.
2: So what's on your mind? you have any questions? you have any comments? you have any suggestions for a show? Send us your thoughts. You can do that by emailing us at colors at thecoloorspodcast.com. That's colors at the com
1: you can subscribe to colors on apple spotify podcast one or wherever you get your podcasts
2: and you can find us on the podcast dc app so it's time to go and this is our last order of business for the show it's our thank yous and we want to say thank you to hillary howard mike Chakitis, dimitri sodas roz whitaker heck earl uriah robinson Ernie Green, Angelie Chong, Julia Ziegler, Joel Oxley, Elena Fortney, Naqib and Najib Ahmad Siddiqui, and the people of Afghanistan for their strength and resilience and people all over the world who are facing oppression. Thanks to Melanie McKee, John Simpson, Zeke Hartner, and Terrence Shepard, Dan Shelley, RTDNA. Thanks to Ariva Martin and the special Report Digital Talk Show. Thank you to Cindy Smith. Thanks, Chris Kaur. Thank you, Anne Kaur, Tabitha Kaur. And thank you, Dr. Gina Bazemore. Also, we want to thank for our music, Jesse Gallagher, Cosmic, and Offshane. And most of all, a big thank you to you with a reminder. Keep talking to each other. And just as importantly, keep listening to each other.
1: This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.